Welcome to the Gals Guide to the Galaxy podcast, where a group of gals gather for you one cool thing around our topic of the month. Is it ancient history? Is it breaking news? Is it safe for work? Well, that's up to each gal. All we know is that... Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. Welcome back. I'm Claire, and I'm joined by Bonnie... Leah and Katie talking about our one cool scary gal. Bonnie already talked about Elvira and Katie shared about the blood countess Elizabeth Bathroy. But before we dive back in, let's get to know something random about our gal pals. Now I recently got my gal's guide library card, so I'm super excited about books and My question is, what evil book would you check out from the Haunted Gal's Guide Library? (laughs) Uh, I'll go first because I'm kind of cheating because I talked to our intern, otherwise known as my daughter, uh, who moves the books around uh, to see if any books were kind of, you know, looking at her sideways or falling off the shelves or... Uh, never shelved properly because they were jumping the shelves at night or something like that. Um, And there's one book that I just got for the library that she really doesn't like. (laughs) And so she is determining that that will probably be the haunted book. And that if there was a haunted gal's guide library, that this would probably be the haunted book. Um, I don't have it with me because it's in the library, but it is called Lady Cottington's Pressed Fairy Book. Have you guys ever heard of this book? It's a real book. Uh, The idea of it is that Lady Cottington had a journal, and when she found fairies in her garden, she smashed the book and smooshed the fairy into the pages. And so the watercolor pictures are of these smooshed fairies in this book. And it horrifies my daughter. And the look on Bonnie's like face a... is that it horrifies Bonnie. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out if she did like watercolor paintings of what she would think this looked like, or if she's just going out in her garden and smooshing bugs until it looks good. <laughs> a little bit of both. But I mean, they're hysterical paintings of the different ways the fairies are uh, trapped and deaded in this book. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have it for when we do Fairyville. Oh. <laughs> That's terrifying because uh, when I, I was like a kid, I found um, Brian Froud books at my my local bookstore. Uh-huh. So I love all the little fairies. So now I'm just mm-hmm. like, they've been squished. They've been squished. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there you go. So that book would probably be haunted with the the spirits of the fairies. What would you ladies say is the haunted book? If there was a haunted gal's guide library, what would be the book? Real or fictional? I would say because it's 2020, we're going to go with the Typhoid Mary book. Because <laughs> the woman would just not say, would just not stop. Yeah. You cannot stop her. You just, she needed to wash her hands. Wash her hands. Words. Just wash your hands. Wash your hands. Like I, I really like. Like I've, I've, I've considered doing like a little like I don't know, almost like a poster of like Typhoid Mary with like, like a big old bowl and be like, just keep on cooking. 
But then I'm like, it's not really that funny. People died. People died. I think it's tough. Yeah. I know. It's tough. It's very tough. <laughs> Typhoid Mary. It's a good 2020 answer. I like it. Katie, what about you, darling? That's hard to follow. I'm just going to go with a book I really, really want to read from the library. Yeah. And that's The Romantic Outlaws. <gasps> I haven't checked out right now. You've been saying how amazing it is. Yep. Oh, <laughs> So I want to learn more about um, Mary Shelley. Yeah, because I read, it's one chapter is Mary Wollstonecraft, her mother. The next chapter is Mary Shelley, and it's how mm-hmm. their lives echo. But I've cheated because I read it first just for Mary Wollstonecraft for the podcast. So now I'm going through and I'm reading it um, for Mary Shelley's bit, and I am not done with it. So it is still checked out, but that book is amazing. Highly recommend it. Yeah, it's a good one. I also highly recommend The Drunk History. (laughs) Yes. With Mary Shelley and Frankenstein. They don't have the full version on YouTube or on Comedy Central because I tried to link it. They have a shortened version of it, but it doesn't have the one where he's trying to say her name over and over again and keeps messing it up. That's on Hulu. Oh, that is on Hulu? It's on Hulu. okay. Then I will put in the show notes, check out Hulu, because I was trying to find that little bit where he could not say, Worcestershire, Crash, Shelley, Percy. Worcestershire, Crash. No, it was just like the first, like, just five minutes. I'm getting the name wrong. Amazing. It's good. Yeah. It was more than two years ago. (laughs) That very. Yeah, it's hilarious. Claire, what would what haunted book do you want to see in the Haunted Gals Guide Library? Well, I I have a hard time deciding, and since no one took mine, I'm the person that'll go to the library and I carry as many books as I physically can, and people start giving me judgmental glances. So and then I you know no check everything out. So <laughs> so first on my list, yeah. Is the Necronom Ex Mortis. There you go. I like it. I was thinking Necronomicon from uh, Evil Dead. <laughs> yes, that's the one from Evil Dead. Um, yeah, Army of Darkness has a special place in my heart. Yes. Um, if you check out the Thunder Domesticity artwork I'm working on, my yes. paper mache chainsaw, I replicated Ash's chainsaw arm for that. Very nice. <laughs> Look at that. Beautiful. And then. If these other books are available, I think I have to get the handbook for the recently deceased. Oh, of course, of course. Yes, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, yes. Beetlejuice, yes. Yes. And then I, I love the mummy way more than I should, so I need to get the book of the dead. Because <laughs> what harm ever came from reading a book? <laughs> None whatsoever. The, oh, wait. Like, the best female characters in a movie ever. Yeah, she's a librarian so and saves she's the world. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> as it should be (laughs) yeah (laughs) oh those are some good choices i like it brilliant all right claire who do you have for us who is your scary gal well today i'm going to tell you a scary tale about seances unearthly art and sexism bum 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 (laughs) it's the trifecta Every female artist's life. No. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so gather round and let me tell you a tale of Hilma af Clint. 
Long, ooh. <laughs> Long ago, the five gathered every Friday to perform seances and communicate with the high masters. The spirits would reveal their mysteries unto the five, who would document the encounters and create automatic drawings as the messages flowed through them. During a seance in 1904, the High Masters tasked the mediums to create a series of paintings on the astral plane for a temple yet to be built, but they resisted. A year later, the spirits told the bravest of the five, a woman named Hilma of Klint, you are to proclaim a new philosophy of life and you yourself are to be a part of a new kingdom. Your labors will bear fruit. In 1906, Offklimt created 26 paintings to prepare for her unearthly task. These paintings were guided by the spirits and were like nothing ever seen on the face of the earth. They were not rooted in this world, and they represented the unseen. She stated, the pictures were painted directly through me without preliminary drawings and with great power. I had no idea what the pictures would depict, and still I worked quickly and surely without changing a single brushstroke. Hilma Offklint was ready to undertake the colossal task of creating paintings for the High Masters, and she toiled away to create 111 paintings for the temple. Some of the canvases were twice as tall as her, and they were bold, mysterious, and they represented what was beyond the visible. When she completed the paintings in 1908, she summoned the esoteric clairvoyant Rudolf Steiner and revealed them to him. The artwork was too radical, and Steiner declared the work inappropriate. He said he couldn't interpret her work and that no one would be able to for the next 50 years. This caused Hilma of Klint to cease working for the High Masters, and she later stipulated that upon her death, her paintings had to be hidden away from human eyes. All the paintings marked with a special code were not permitted to be exhibited until 20 years following her passing into the afterlife. <laughs> I, I had to get a little dramatic. <laughs> I love it. Yes. <laughs> okay. Break the tension with immediate giggling. So now you can all take me serious as a historical scholar. <laughs> of course. Yes. No, absolutely. <laughs> so <laughs> I'll back that up with some contacts. Uh, con contacts. Yes. From the spirit guide. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Context is the word I was looking for about Hilma of Klint. Now, she was born in 1862 in Sweden to an aristocratic family. And so she was able to go to school, which was kind of radical for girls at the time. Right. So she studied botany, mathematics, nature, and astronomy were the topics she was really interested in. And when she... <laughs> when she was 20, she went to the Royal Academy of Fine Arts, and this was from 1882 to 87, and she was one of the first generations of women that was permitted to go to the academy and study yeah. art, and she was able to study landscape and portraiture, and there were a lot of restrictions on what women could still study, and it was 
basically the reason women were allowed to attend the academy was because they had all these aristocratic unmarried women and they're like, what do we do with them until they become mm. spinsters? I know, let's let them paint. Uh. So yeah and the expectations for the women students was very low because at the time it was believed that genius and sarcastic air quotes could mm. only exist in men and women couldn't possess genius so women were allotted the easy paintings like landscapes and portraiture and i have read so many art historians and critics and philosophers drone on about how portraits are the easiest thing in the entire world to make I don't know, Bonnie, what do you think about painting portraits? They're super easy, right? <laughs> no, it's not the same as painting a bowl of oranges. No. Yeah. I mostly do portraiture. It's really hard. Now, is it because I'm a woman and I don't possess genius? Or is it because no. it's actually difficult? Because <laughs> it's actually difficult. <laughs> yeah, I would love to see the portraits that these these critics make. And then... There's also the hypocrisy because like one of the most famous paintings in the world is the Mona Lisa and oh no, it's a portrait, but oh. he was a genius. So I guess it doesn't count. Sure. Anyway, <laughs> so the expectation for women was super low, but oops, Hilma Afklint worked really hard at school and was good at what she did. She won a ton of awards like money awards for her work. And after she graduated, she was awarded a studio in Stockholm. And she had a career and she created portraits and landscapes and illustrations. Cool. And in about, and in 1889, she joined the Theosophical Society. And are any of you familiar with Theosophy? Theosophy. Wow, it's getting late tonight. Theosophy <laughs> is what I meant to say. <laughs> Philosophy, yes. Philosophy, Ooh. no. The, yeah, T-H. Oh. And it's a religious movement that started that has a oneness of all humans all religions are basically the same and the teachings have a breakdown of boundaries and it actually had a lot of opportunities for women so compared to christianity and the various brands of that in europe at the time this allowed more opportunities for women and and so it attracted a lot of women to it because they could be priestesses in this yeah. movement especially and educated women ton, as well yes definitely and so this attracted a lot of intellectuals philosophers a ton of uh, artists were theosophists as well including Vasily Kandinsky, Pete Mondrian and Kazimir Malevich and I'll talk a little bit more about these guys later gotcha. in 1896 she was part of the five and it was also called the Friday group. And it consisted of five educated women artists. So it was Anna Castle, Cornelia Cedarberg, Sigrid Hedmond, and Matilda Nilsson. And every Friday they would meet and they would do prayers, meditation. They had Christian sermons because that was the environment they grew up in. Mm -hmm. They analyzed the new Testament and then they had a seance. <gasps> Yes. <laughs> That's an interesting combination. <laughs> Which was having seances was really popular in the 1800s so and nice. it was part of spiritualism yeah. and that started around that time period and theosophy started in the late 19th century. And this is because science was making all these discoveries that showed that reality exists beyond 
what we can see. And so there are x-rays and infrared light and electromagnetic fields. Right. And off Clint was an artist and she excelled at categorizing and showing the natural world, but she wanted to go beyond that. And so a good analogy for this would be all the other artists are painting the orchestra, but she wanted to paint the music. So, yeah. (laughs) So in 19, yeah, in 1906, she's 44 years old and she started her first series of abstract paintings and they were inspired by the seances and she had uh, those seances she was having with the five. And this is really notable because the year is 1906. And for people who've done a lot of study with art history, there's this narrative that happens a lot in art history courses where there's this timeless march that leads up to the birth of abstraction and that's supposed to be like the apex of art and that's where artistic genius resides and i suppose you can tell from my sarcastic voice that uh, that narrative is not something that i completely adhere to so you are typically taught that you have the greco-roman times you have medieval art there's the renaissance you have a whole bunch of isms and it's this gradual development it's led by all these men artists and we have to keep in mind that women weren't allowed to go to art school and basically exist outside of being mothers and nuns and so there's this gradual development you get up to impressionism post-impressionism and then kandinsky in 1911 invents the first abstract painting but you can do math though can't you (laughs) ah yeah i don't know it's 1906 before 11, help me out, people. Was the first. Well, you know, with, with women getting, you know, paid, you know, less, the, the years are also less. <laughs> oh, so like you get 73% of the timeline? Yeah, mm. you, you get, yeah, it's mm. for every 100 years for a man is oh, only, you you're know, only 76. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Now I'm going to have to like recalculate my age. Uh. <laughs> but, like my timeline to abstract art, Bonnie, is that something that you, you've been taught or familiar with? Yeah, and it all, all leads up to, to Picasso and, you know, excuse me while I puke. No, I was going to say, <laughs> Bonnie really don't like Picasso. Yeah, and I, oh, I was so excited when I heard, you know, Hannah, have you seen Hannah Gatsby's uh, specials? I've seen the first yeah. one and I'm try. I know the next one's going to be good, but I just haven't I'm sure it's going to be like depressing and hilarious at the same time. It's, it's different, but there's still some art history. Okay. But I was super excited because like in art school, it's you, these, these guys are like amazing. It's like, mm, not really feeling it. Like, (laughs) Like Cezanne was like raping girls. Like this yeah, is children. Not, this is it's, not cool. Yeah. Right. Like, no. And, <laughs> well, I'm gonna give you some more fuel to be yeah. feisty about because yes. So in 1906, she's creating these abstract paintings, and then in um, oh, like I said, that Kandinsky was in 1911. He created the first, according to the 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 canon of art history, Western art history. I mean, we also tend to forget like all the other countries on the planet as well as women. But in this time when women are allowed to attend the academy and they're 
allowed to paint the figure. Now, of course, the figure's draped, but they weren't allowed to actually paint nudes. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. at this time, when women are allowed to paint the figure, suddenly the figure is no longer relevant in the art world. Mm. I don't know. Funny how that Suspicious. Mm -hmm. Anyway, in 1907 to 08, she worked on paintings for the temple and she created 111 paintings in less than two years. The most notable, yeah, the most notable are called the 10 largest and these paintings are about 10 feet tall and she's barely five feet tall. She put her canvas on the floor and painted, which, you know, Jackson Pollock like years later was heralded as a genius for putting the canvas on the floor, but someone else beat him to it. (laughs) So the 10 largest paintings depict being a child, a youth, adulthood, and old age, but they're very abstract. So there's abstract shapes and spirals and circles, geometric shapes, organic lines. It's has colors meaning different symbols they're basically like undiscovered pink floyd album covers (laughs) Mm -hmm. right so if you haven't seen you also watch the wizard of oz at the same time (laughs) oh does it line up with dark side of the moon (laughs) (laughs) the listeners will have to test this out and let us know how that works out (laughs) but In 1908, her family saw her paintings and they told her they were odd and she shouldn't show them to anyone. Mm. Oh, so the family believed, or her family believed in her then. That's cool. Yeah. I'm curious where she was keeping all these gigantic paintings if she wasn't showing them. (laughs) Well, she had this. She had this studio, and my understanding is she rolled them up. Uh, and so it's a little easier to store than having them all stretched and ready to go. Now, at the same time, she contacted Rudolf Steiner, and he was a medium and the leader of the G- German Theosophical Society. So he was someone that was really important in the movement, and she really valued his opinion. And she contacted him and got him to come to Sweden to look at her paintings. And he saw them and told her they were inappropriate. He couldn't interpret her artwork and that nobody on the planet would be able to for at least 50 years. He also told her to stop painting as a medium. Yeah. (laughs) Real supportive. (laughs) Because before this, like the most abstract art got is you have, uh, this is, this even predates before Picasso was stealing artwork from Africa and incorporating it. You have maybe Henri Matisse and the Fauvism where he's painting his wife with green skin, Mm -hmm. but it's still not full abstract art, which is supposed to be the best, highest, most geniusy type of art, according to, uh, I don't know if Bonnie can roll her eyes anymore. (laughs) Your face is going to be exhausted. <laughs> it gets better with contemporary art history. But the... <laughs> feel so this negatively affected her. She stopped painting yeah. for four years. So from 1908 to 1912, she didn't paint. It's the year the naysayers, or years the naysayers won. Yeah, I feel that. Yeah. And here's some 
suspicious things to plant in your brain. Steiner had photos of her artwork, even some hand-colorized photos. And he also had some of her paintings hanging in his office. Son of a bitch. Now, remember those artists I mentioned before that yeah. were part, they were um, theosophists? Well, the three Vasily can... <laughs> <laughs> well, Steiner also met Vasily Kandinsky in 1908. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. And so in 1911, according to the narrative, Kandinsky claimed to have invented abstract art. And the narrative that I was told is that he had a painting that was kind of abstracty, and he came home one day and saw this painting in his house and was like he had never seen it before and was just perplexed. And he had an epiphany of a stroke of genius that oh, art can be abstract. It doesn't have to represent anything. And yeah, as it turned out, it was just it, one of his. If you see it, you can be it. So if you copy it from yeah. somebody else, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and then the yes. story is that it was actually one of his paintings that was flipped upside down. So he couldn't see what the subject was. And he did a lot to claim his place in art history. Like he tried to get a photograph, like this painting doesn't exist anymore. There's no other documentation than him claiming that it was he that invented it. Mm -hmm. And so Kandinsky was a theosophist, but in all of my art history research, Art historians categorize him as a philosopher instead. Ah. And I've read lots of Kandinsky like droning on about how the triangle is the highest form in yellow. (laughs) Like it's all this very mystical. I'm not trying to like downplay theosophy, but it is theosophy, but it's categorized as philosophy because it's more academic than I. Sure. It's splitting hairs, I guess, yes. at that point. So, yeah. I mean, yeah. We all know that teal is the best color. So. <laughs> Bonnie's a teal girl. <laughs> well, and then with these abstract artists that are all heralded as these grand geniuses, you have Kazimir Malevich. In 1915, he painted the black square. But what i found more recently is when they x-rayed it they found that the black square was it was painted over an older painting and i mean it's just literally a black square with a white border around it but in the x-ray it revealed that kandinsky had a racist joke written underneath as a caption it was along the lines of two black people fighting in a dark room and he painted a black square and he painted over that later but that is like seen as the apex art history yeah that's and it was a joke a joke um i don't think it's very funny but it was like published in uh like different prints around that time as well so he was copying someone else's joke and made a painting and now it's you know hung up and it's the the greatest thing ever and then a little while later, you have, in 1920, Pete Mondrian did the Distill paintings, so those uh, black borders with primary colors. Okay. But in 1909, so after, you know, Off Clinton made of these paintings, he joined the Theosophy group as well. Okay. So I have, I'll let you, you know, go to your own conclusions <laughs> with these. I'm just, you know, giving you some timelines and information. Right. Now dates. (laughs) Yeah. So there was a four year. Yeah. There's a four year break from her painting. And in 1912 to 15, she resumed painting 
for the temple. And she made 82 more paintings. So there are 193 abstract paintings for paintings for the temple. And she had created over 1,300 paintings and drawings. Not all of them are abstract because she was a portrait artist and she did illustrations and had created 125 notebooks with over 25,000 pages of her notes. Oh my gosh. Yeah, she was very prolific. And she really wanted to create this theosophical temple. And he didn't want to build that temple. Instead, he built his own thing. Mm. So the, like, to sum up, like, toward the end, she did die in 1944. And that was the same year as, I think it was Mondrian and Kandinsky also died the same year. Oh. I don't know. So we're back to the spooky, scary (laughs) parts. But when she died, yeah, that's just like a fun factoid to have. But she left all of her paintings to her nephew, Eric Offklint. And she stipulated that everything that was marked with a symbol, it was a plus sign and an X, had to be stored until 20 years after her death. So I feel like she took that criticism of no one's going to understand your artwork. So she had everything stored now in the 60s when they opened up this collection with thousands of artworks and all these notebooks her nephew eric offered the collection to the modern museum in stockholm but they weren't interested because she was a woman Mm -hmm. still in the 60s yeah and they flat out refused to see her work they wouldn't even look at it after they heard she was a medium but They use that as the excuse because, oh, she was a medium in magic. But the thing was, all of those other men were theosophists and mediums as well. Right. They had the same. It's just kind of, I don't know if we just translate to philosophy instead or, no, it's their genius. So I have some umbrage with that. But they just wouldn't even look at her work. So in the 1970s, her family formed the Hilma Off Clint Foundation. And they started exhibiting her artwork. So in the 1980s, they had some of her paintings shown in the Los Angeles County Museum. Oh, cool. But the biggest exhibition happened in 2018 and 2019. I had not heard of this woman until I was researching her for this podcast to share with you. So this is a year ago, they had a gigantic exhibition at the Guggenheim, and it was called Hilma off Clint paintings for the future and it was a blockbuster exhibition it set records I mean people were coming in for everywhere to see it and it was a huge success and so like the big question I have with her is like why isn't she known why didn't I hear about her until this week well part of it is i don't live in new york and can't frequent the guggenheim so i miss that exhibition out here in south dakota there's that but like why haven't i heard about her and why isn't she part of the art history canon Mm -hmm. well part of this goes to 
the Modern Museum of Art, so the MoMA in New York, mm -hmm. in 1936. So this is when she's still alive and working. Yeah. They published a catalog and it was called Cubism and Abstract Art. And they have this nice little diagram where it's all these little things leading up to abstract art because it's mm -hmm. the epiphany and wonderful and amazing. And it didn't include off Clint. And I was looking at some of that catalog and I was scanning through all the artists and I didn't find any women at all. Big surprise, uh, huh? Gotta get some Gorilla Girls on that. They won't add Hilma Offklint to their history and they said that it's because her work isn't valuable. Now let's keep in mind the MoMA doesn't own any of her work and her work isn't for sale by her foundation. So they can't make money off of her work. Mm -hmm. And so there's this, I see this a lot where we decided this artist is really important. Mm -hmm. Hey, look, I have one for sale. Let's go to the auction house and you can own part of history. Yeah. And so that's why like the top 10 selling artists are always the same artists and like, mm -hmm. It, it seems like there isn't room. So this is part of my disgruntled artist tirade. Mm -hmm. But yes. another reason Preach. that the, <laughs> the MoMA says that her work isn't valuable is they claim she didn't exhibit in her lifetime. So her paintings aren't art with a capital A. But she couldn't. Neither so. did they go. Right? I know. He sold one <laughs> painting. <laughs> yeah. And I, I've, correct me if I'm wrong, but the MoMA does have some Van Gogh and his stuff sells for millions of dollars, right. but. And I don't think they're planning on, I don't think they have a list price for how much they're going to sell the Mona Lisa either. So is right. that just not valuable? It's a portrait. It doesn't until count. until somebody stole it a couple of times. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but yeah. Back to her, like, not exhibiting. Well, she did try to exhibit. I mean, when she was in art school, she exhibited, and she won, like, True. a lot of money for her work. Yeah, there you go. And she tried to exhibit, but her family and the theosophical leaders told her not to, right. and because it was just too weird for the time. And there's documentation of her uh, in her letters and her notebooks about exhibiting her artwork. And in 1928, she was going to travel to London to exhibit her paintings and it wasn't until 2018 that they discovered a postcard where she was like hey guys i'm in london my big paintings are here how's everything going wish you were here and so there's documentation that she exhibited if that's a requirement that they right. decided right exactly but, yeah and then there's also like she wrote notebooks instead of manifestos and didn't call her an ism and there's also like I feel like she got forgotten because women traditionally can't possess genius, mm. which is right. a thing that goes back thousands of years. And so she doesn't fit within the traditional art history. And then it's just difficult. I don't know. Is it just too hard to re-edit your book? I know, right? <laughs> and add like her back in. isn't an updated version ever or a new syllabus yeah. and a new curriculum. Oh, it's so hard. Yeah. No. Oh, goodness. Now that I know about her, if I get to teach some modern art history, whoa, watch out. Mm -hmm. Dig it, do it. So, whose blood is boiling now? No. Oh, my goodness gracious. But yeah, I like it, though. I think that is amazing. And I like that she's starting 
to get that, uh, you know, credit and uh, at least get her name out there and that sort of thing. And then it's up to all of us to be cheerleaders and spotlighters. Yeah. (laughs) Well, and this is so new too. Like her exhibition was in 2018. When we were allowed to go outside. First major... I know. Remember that? Yeah, barely. (laughs) (laughs) But... So if anyone's interested in learning more about her, like you can visit the Hilma Auckland Foundation's website, look up that exhibition that was at the Guggenheim. And there's a documentary that just came out and it's called Beyond the Visible. That is Mm. also pretty great because you get to see shots of the paintings with people in front of them. And it gives you just a sense of the scale because they are gigantic. And you said you saw that on Amazon? It was, yeah, it wasn't the prime. Uh, yes. But it was on Amazon? You, you do it to, it's not prime, but it's worth the five bucks. Well, I was going to say, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's just weird to find it. You know what I mean? So I can put it in the show notes where it's just like, hey, worth it. <laughs> yeah. Because it is Definitely. art. I would art recommend has value, it. So therefore, you know, paying $5 to watch her story or whatever, worth it. <laughs> right. We because may we... even be able to, as the library, write the foundation and maybe get like a DVD copy. Right, exactly. Yeah, and especially yeah. if they're Just... um, have written a book or ever thinking of a book, that would be fantastic to have in the Gals Guide Library. I'm get sure there's there. the like the exhibition catalog would be out yeah. there somewhere. Right, exactly. And her artwork is. It's just immense and very imaginative. And what I found was interesting is that in the, the start of her abstract art, she credited like these seances are being in touch with like the spiritual realm. But after she got shot down, it's kind of like, yeah, mm, I'm making these paintings on my own. Right. So, she's not putting as much out there of this is what it incorporates. She's keeping that to herself. Right. Yeah. It's not that right. it's not well, there. I don't want to like, and I don't want to discredit, like, if that's truly what she believed, because I wasn't there, I wasn't her friend, but it's, she could have also been using it as a vehicle, as an excuse to create this yeah. really imaginative, forward-thinking artwork that mm-hmm. no one had seen before. So that'll be something to find out more about as more right. people research into her notebooks and learn more about her. Yeah, because even if that was the starting block, that's what got her started. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, or yeah. if it got, yeah, I think inspiration is inspiration. And I think you right. can take it separately as well. Um, you can look at a piece of art without knowing the inspiration, but I think it does deepen it when you know where the inspiration came from. Well, we have so much art. I mean, like all the art from the Renaissance is heralded. That's coming through right. the church and mostly Catholicism at the time. And then or royalty. Think, yeah. Yes. And this is, I'm going to say this is a lot more wholesome story than inventing abstract art based on a racist joke. Ugh, right? Malevich. Yeah. <laughs> Sweet. Oh, goodness. <laughs> so have fun studying for your art history test, kids. Exactly. <laughs> I like it. I like the complexity of it. Yay. Bonnie, do you have anything you would like to add and or vent? <laughs> oh, no, I'm just thinking, like, like if I was older now and, like, retaking, like, art history, you know, I, I like, writing in stuff, I'd be like, well, <laughs> when he was a 
busy being too much of a giant dick. This guy. Basically, you would be my daughters during history class where they're like, Mm-mm, see, my mom told me about these other ladies at this time. Oh, and I don't know why that's left out. It certainly makes it more engaging and interesting. Like, I mean, it might make us want to reconsider why we're still hanging Gauguin and Picasso in museums other than their paintings are Money. worth a lot of money. Right. I think it's just the rich people who own it. He bugs me one of the worst. Yeah. Uh, Because no one liked him. Mm. Like, they loved his paintings. Like, I don't know if he just had an abrasive personality. Like, no one liked him. Separating the man from the art. Yeah. Yeah. And then his art dealer was Van Gogh's brother, and he was selling Gauguin's paintings out the ass. Could not sell any of Van Gogh's. Like, Mm. Like, no wonder Van Gogh had, like, issues. Like, come on. Like, oh. Gauguin is terrible. Like, I go to a museum, like, why is this still hanging here? We don't watch the family. He left his four kids and his wife Mm -hmm. to go rape children in tropical locations. Ugh. But that's a that's a podcast for another day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and also oh, scary. <laughs> but now I'm just yeah. wondering like if she hadn't stopped for those four years. Yeah, right. Like what she would have done if um like she was still like keeping like notes or a journal like during those four years. Right. Um, if she was going to like shows and like getting so like exposed to what was going on in the art world or not right well even though she was part of the art world and she was living in a and she was living in Stockholm and was around all these artists and philosophers and theosophists she's still a woman so I'm going to bank that she still wasn't allowed in all the same spaces that the men were so kind of like how Mary Cassatt was an impressionist but she wasn't permitted to be in the same circles all the same time due to her gender. You got to be in the room where it happens, right, Bonnie? Mm-hmm. Can't let her be around like the smoking and the booze. <gasps> oh no! I don't think it her uterus could handle it. <laughs> <laughs> right. What her womb might wander, and she has hysteria. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh. <laughs> well, that wraps it up for us this week. Join us next week as our next gal pal shares her one cool, scary gal as the Gal's Guide podcast continues. Thanks for listening. (laughs) Okay, is you're supposed to join in on the laugh, otherwise I look like a jerk. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, thank you. For show notes, links, and images from this week's show, visit galsguide.org. Want exclusive stuff like deleted bits and major bloopers? Become a Gals Guide patron today. Thanks for listening.